I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back, Hawkeye fans. This is Rob Howe, publisher of HawkeyeNation.com, back with another HN Mailbag podcast. It is April 22nd, about 11.15 a.m. Central Time here in Iowa City, and happy to be back with you guys. Uh, The weeks are going quicker now that we're into the pandemic, whatever it is, five weeks uh, of quarantine shelter in place, what have you. But uh, back to answer your questions again for another week. This podcast has been pretty well received, so we'll continue rolling on here. I was going to do this once a month or once every other week, but it seems like we're still steady, moving steadily along with your questions. So as long as you have them, I will try to do my best to answer them. Um, We're going to, and I did say that I was going to record this in the afternoon today, um, but then I remembered I have a podcast that I need to, don't need to, but am happy to record with AJ Lawson, um, defensive back from Illinois, who's in the 2020 Iowa class will be coming in, uh, hopefully sometime this summer when, uh, the team reconvenes, but I have that this afternoon. So I wanted to do this this morning. So I apologize if you didn't get your question in, uh, if you could roll it over to next week, I would really appreciate it. Um, I often say, that I'm going to record things in the afternoon and then end up recording them early. So if you do see me light the bath signal for questions, it's usually best to um, try to ask, answer them, you know, ask them, excuse me, as soon as you see, uh, you know, my tweet or Facebook post or post on the message board. Um, and I appreciate on our message board, Hawks Gone Wild, I believe was the screen name. I'll get to that after for reminding me yesterday uh, that today was Mailbag Podcast Day because the days kind of are running together here and sometimes I lose track of what day it is. I'm sure many of you are going through the same thing. But uh, without further ado, let's get to your questions. Uh, let's start with Facebook today for because why not? Um, I have a couple questions on there um, that have come in. 
And I hadn't gotten a question. I think the last question was over an hour ago on any of the platforms that I requested questions on. So figure it's probably a good deal to go now. You can tell I'm feeling guilty that I'm recording this early and maybe miss some of your questions. But again, roll them on the next week. We seem to be in a good groove here of doing these weekly. So let's get to your questions. Uh, Luke Seifert, I think it's Seifert. It could be Seifert. I'm going to go with Luke Seifert on Facebook. What can you share about the 2020-21 Iowa non-conference basketball schedule? An ACC matchup in Iowa State are given, but do you have any insight on a holiday tournament invite? Iowa has picked a neutral site win against the top 15 opponent each of the past two seasons and have seemed to use it as a springboard in a solid December and January play. Was Was Cincinnati on a neutral site floor a one- or two-year agreement? Thanks, Rob. Appreciate your work. Thanks, Luke. I appreciate your kind words and your questions. Um, the Cincinnati, uh, I think that was, it was called the, what was that called? The Chicago Classic? Uh, let me pull up the Iowa schedule here. That was called the Chicago Legends Classic. I believe that's a year-to-year event. I don't think that's a, a two-year event. Um, I'm almost positive of that. I don't want to say I'm 100% positive because I don't know for sure, but I think that was just a one-year deal. And uh, there's a chance that Iowa can add something like that uh, this year as well. Uh, That game was used to replace the uh, Big Four Classic last year. So they're going to need at least a semi-decent opponent uh, in a game like that to mix in. But last year's schedule was tough. So there's a good chance that this this year's schedule will not be as daunting of a non-conference schedule, particularly just being away from home as as much as Iowa was. but the, you know, the, the, the base of your question about um, the holiday tournament, that's really interesting to me because uh, I went through uh, after I saw your question and kind of did a little bit of research on this because I haven't paid a whole lot of attention to it. Uh, but I was one of uh, really one of the few, you know, uh, high major schools that does not is not, uh, you know, in an event at this point. And that uh, we usually know by now where they're going to head. Um, And I pulled something up earlier, but uh, from my research, Luke, it looks like there are three possibilities, two of them being better than the others. Um, And they would be um, trying to look here. Uh, The Virgin Islands Paradise Jam. uh, And that's mostly uh that's mostly made up of and not mostly it is made up of entirely mid-major schools and i know that gets a bad rap there are real some really good mid-major schools these are this is not like you're getting uni or or a higher level uh mid-major school this one these teams i don't have it in front of me were a little bit down the um the the rung of of mid-major schools so that could be a possibility I guess but it seems like less of a possibility than these other two uh you have the Jamaica Classic uh and that has Missouri State UMass and Wake Forest and is needs one more team so there's a possibility there 
and then the, the Continental Tire Las Vegas Invitational, which I believe Iowa was in last year. Maybe not. Maybe that was a different Las Vegas tournament. I think there are a couple of preseason Las Vegas tournaments. But that tournament – and Iowa was in Las Vegas last year, so do they go back and do that again? This one is DePaul, New Mexico, and Santa Clara. Again, they played DePaul in the Gavit games this past season. I don't know if there's a lot of attractiveness there, but again, there aren't really, at least from what my research tells me, there aren't a lot of options there. The Jamaica Classic one seems to make the most sense. You got Missouri State, UMass, and Wake Forest. That, uh, not, nothing great there, uh, but I would prefer that to going back to Las Vegas with DePaul, New Mexico, and Santa Clara. And I looked at this um, uh, Blogging the Bracket, uh, SB Nation site that does a pretty good job with with rounding up this information. Um, And notable teams not yet tied to an event. The Big 12, the Big East, and the Mountain West, all of their teams are already tied to a preseason basketball tournament, a holiday tournament, if you will. the teams that aren't from the high major conferences, the Power Six, you have the ACC, you have Georgia Tech and Virginia Tech. From the Big Ten, Iowa is the only team in the Big Ten not to have been attached to a holiday event to this point. Uh, the Pac-12, uh, Washington, and the SEC is Georgia. So you're looking at high major schools, Power Six conference schools, Georgia Tech, Virginia Tech, Iowa, Washington, Georgia, five teams. Um, so maybe some of those other teams will be shooting for a spot in those holiday tournaments, and maybe we're overlooking a holiday tournament uh, that we are unaware of at this point. But hopefully that answers your question, Luke. Um, in terms of, yes, they'll play an ACC matchup, and um, I think there's a chance they could play another Gavit Games. Uh, the rules, the, because of the disparity in member member teams in each of the conferences between the Big East uh, the Big East, which I believe has eight teams, um, and the and obviously the Big Ten, which it's not Big Ten, it's Big Fourteen. There are fourteen teams, so six teams from the Big Ten don't play each year. Um, this uh, event started in f- 2015, runs till 2022. Um, each team ha- from the Big Ten is um, contracted to play a minimum of four games. Iowa has played three, and so has everybody else in the conference, has played exactly three games in this event, with the exception of Michigan State, which has only played once. So Michigan State will obviously be in this event the next two years before the contract is up, but all the other teams are pretty much fair game. They each have at least one more um, opportunity to play in this event. Uh, in the next two seasons. So Iowa could be this year or it could be next year. Maybe Iowa knows that it's in that event and maybe that's why uh, it's trying to work its schedule around the holiday event. But I'll try to get some more information on that, Luke. It's a good question. And uh, I'll try to maybe catch up with Fran McCaffrey and see, uh, see what he's got going on in that, in, in that regard. But thanks again for the kind words and thanks again for the question, Luke. Uh, Jared Hartsock on Facebook with the Hawkeyes proficient offense staying intact for next season, parenthetical reference, assuming Garza is back. It should be an extremely, it should be extremely fun to watch. What is the over under on a hundred game, hundred point games? I assume you're saying uh, next season. Interestingly enough, Jared, I went back and looked at this and I didn't realize this because I don't pay attention, probably as close of attention to this as I probably should. 
Um, but I would not score 100 points in a game last season. It gave up 100 points uh, twice, I believe, maybe once. I know it was at Michigan they gave up 100, and I think at Purdue gave. So it allowed 100 twice and lost. So that's obviously not a good statistic. And I believe it scored 90, I counted, four times, uh, at least 90 points. So at least 96 times, but four times it scored in the 90s, I should say. So Iowa was in the 90s. Uh, four times, and I think was three and one in those games. But yeah, 100 points is a nice marker. I almost, you know, I'm okay with Iowa scoring in the 80s or 90s as long as it plays good enough defense. But I will answer your question and say they will go over 100 points. Uh, it's hard to, and, and this runs back to Luke's question. I don't know who they're playing in the non conference. Um, maybe Iowa did put up a hundred in the non in the non conference on somebody. I don't think so though. Uh, no, they did not. So um, I'll say two. Let's go with two. That's a good number. And it looks like you have more questions here. Also, when Garza does go pro, what NBA team do you see as a fit for the skilled big man? It's a good question. Um, I'm not going to try to answer this question based on I don't follow the NBA as closely as I used to. So I have a better feel for what Luca can do than where he would fit. I'm not really sure. Um, maybe Dallas, um, you know, and that's just throwing a dart because I don't really follow uh, the NBA systems that closely. But um, I'll try to do maybe do some research on that for you and, and get back to you on that, Jared, if I can remember, which is a toss up. And then also, what team do you think could be the Hawkeyes' Achilles heel next year, similar to Purdue this year? Yeah, that was – I'm going to say that was kind of just an aberration in timing, the Purdue thing. Um, Purdue was okay this year at best. Will be better next year, I think, even without harms. Uh, play, they have some players coming in and also um, – uh, mat the maturity of, of some of the players that were already on the roster. So I think they'll, uh, they'll be a step better. Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, Rutgers, maybe? Nebraska was kind of a pain in the butt this year with, uh, with that game out, out there that Iowa just was terrible, whatever, four for 33 from three. So Rutgers, maybe? Nebraska? Possibly Northwestern. Northwestern, I think, is going to be better next year. They can't be much worse, obviously. But I think both Nebraska and Northwestern will take steps forward next year. But all that said, um, you know, looking ahead to next year, Jared, I, I would be surprised if Iowa loses twice to a team like it did to Purdue this year. Um, Man, maybe surprise isn't a good word because who knows what's going to happen. Uh, and timing, like it was this year in that Purdue game, I think those Purdue games had a lot to do with it. Um, but I don't think Iowa's going to lose a ton next year if everybody comes back and everything's intact and there aren't any injuries. I, I, w I would be surprised if there's a team that uh, it ends up being Iowa's Achilles heel. They, may, they will lose games uh, to, to, to good teams, but I, I – would be surprised if it, it is something like we saw with Purdue this year. So I think that's it on the Facebook questions. Do one more pass on Facebook here just to make sure we don't have anything else. 
Sometimes the Facebook questions don't pop up the way I want them to either on our site, and I don't know why. Uh, yep, that looks like it, just two on there. So thank you, um, Luke and Jared, for the questions on Facebook. I really appreciate that. Let's go to Twitter. So we'll knock out the social media uh, questions first, because I think I only had a couple of Twitter questions today, which this stuff kind of runs in cycles. Sometimes you get a lot on Twitter and not a lot on the other uh, platforms that I use. But uh, Jake Markham, thank you for using the hashtag HN Mail, Jake. I appreciate that. And Jake Markham, it's at jmarkham1337 on Twitter, asks, is Tony Perkins going to be Iowa's X-Factor freshman next year? The film of him seems like he is explosive. He's very explosive, Jake. And we've talked about this uh, on previous podcasts about this freshman class. I certainly think he could be that guy. Um, I also think Ulyss could be that guy. I think Aaron has that potential. Both of these guys could help Iowa defensively on the perimeter. Not, maybe not as much, probably not as much um, as Toussaint did, did, excuse me, did this year. Uh, but certainly both of those guys have the capability to, to up Iowa's perimeter defense. I just wonder where the minutes are going to come from. And if you, we, we, uh, this is another topic we've talked about on, on both on the website and we've written about and talked about on this podcast. I'm just unsure where the minutes are going to come for this freshman class. And I would, I would not be surprised at all to see two to three of these guys redshirt next year, just because of a lack of playing time and minutes. And that can change as we talked about with injuries and things like that. But I love, but, but to focus on Tony Perkins, I love his game. Uh, I think that was a great, great scout by, by Fran McCaffrey and finding him in Indianapolis and being able to lock him up uh, before he had a really good senior year was a finalist for the Mr. Basketball in Indiana. Um, and really, it just had a t- tremendous senior season and really got better uh, as the season went on uh, and really, you know, took his game to another level. So I certainly think he can help Iowa next year. I think it's going to be between he and Eulis. Maybe they both help equally, but I think those are the two guys for me in terms of the freshman class who have the chance to make the b- biggest impact next season, just based on they're not just, they're just not being a lot of minutes available, at least how things look right now on April 22nd during a pandemic at 1130 uh, in the morning in Iowa City. But um, yeah, I hope that answers your question a little bit, Jake, and I appreciate you asking it. Uh, just Jeff again, Jeff My- at Jeff Myers 8 asked, what has been the biggest change in recruiting? We went from developing two-star athletes and development to three and four stars. I'm going to say, I'm going to guess, Jeff, that this is a football question for uh, the recruiting, from the recruiting angle. And I would say that um, Iowa is still getting some two-star athletes. I think there are more three-star athletes now overall. It just seems like it. And I've seen guys get bumped up as soon as, here's one of the aspects of it. I think with the recruiting clock sped up where guys are committing earlier they get bumped up to three stars when they commit to high major programs it's and I'm not banging on the guys that do these evaluations for you know the recruiting sites but it gives them more time to evaluate these guys and maybe 
get them in front of evaluation and scouting services. And therefore they said, wow, this kid shouldn't be a two-star. He should be a three-star. Um, so I don't know as a lot has changed. I do think Iowa has done a better job of, a, of bringing in uh, versatile athletes that can play multiple positions. Um, and we've talked about this on this podcast before. I think this current Iowa coaching staff with an infusion of, of, of some younger guys like Seth Wallace Kelvin Bell, um, even LeVar Woods, Kelton Copeland, Tim Polishek, really go-getters, Brian Ferentz in the recruiting realm. I think that's kind of sparked an uptick in recruiting. Um, and Tyler Barnes, the, the recruiting – he's not the recruiter. Um, what the heck is his title? We'll call him recruiting coordinator for the purposes of this. But uh, – he, he's the organizer of recruiting in the office. I think he does a really good job of identifying and networking. Um, and and um, Derek Foster, too. Um, I apologize for, for missing him when I was naming guys first because he's been great in the South. Uh, I just think they've got a really good group right now recruiting-wise and, um, and coaching as well. So really good. I really like this, you know, whatever you want to call it, version 3.0 of the Kirk Ferentz era coaching staff. Uh, we had the 2.0, which was not as uh, <laughs> beneficial. I won't name names there, but uh, that, that 2.0 version uh, had some holes in it. That boat had some holes in it. But I appreciate the question, Jeff, and uh, hopefully I was able to answer it. And that's it for the Twitter questions today. A little surprising, only two, but uh, maybe I should post those uh, on the previous evening as well. Okay, we're about 20 minutes in there, though, so we're doing pretty well on time. And now let's go to the message boards. I'll hit the football board first, and I'm going to, I guess, uh, point this out right now um, that um, some of the questions on the basketball message boards are football questions, but I believe the ones on the football board are football questions. So let's start there. Um, and it's Hawkeye's Gone Wild, and I, and I was not um, criticizing you, Wild, when I, when I thanked you for uh, posting on, on the message board and reminding me that it was Mailbag Podcast Day uh, when you did so, I believe, uh, yesterday afternoon. I just retitled the thread so other people could ask uh, questions within your thread of you reminding me. So hopefully that clarifies that. Um, but Hawks Gone Wild asks, asks on the football board, do you think this year we'll be running three running backs this year with Sergeant Martin and Goodson being the three? Can you see someone breaking through? Yeah, um, I think Shadrick Bird's got a chance having an extra year in the system. Those would be the three that I would choose. They're all experienced, and we know how experience plays but we also know that Iowa's going to play the best guys, at least try to give themselves the best chance to win. Uh, even though there's some, some opinion out there that uh, Iowa does not play the best players. I think it tries to play the best players it can to win football games, uh, but that's not always a cut and dried evaluation. And there are other factors that go into that, but I think Goodson's your starter with Sargent at his, as his backup. Ivory Kelly Martin, I think, goes into camp whenever that may be as the three. 
uh, or competing with Shadrick Bird for that three spot. Uh, and then you have the two Williams that are coming in in this recruiting class who I also think have a chance to possibly get playing time a la what we saw with Goodson last year. So I do think we'll see three running backs. I think they'll probably lean mostly on Goodson and Sargent unless there are injuries. And that third guy may just get a little bit, you know, maybe three to five carries a game, maybe. Um, I think that's the way they would like to go uh, if they could. Um. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Let's see here. We've got Holmes uh, on the football board. If there is a limited schedule this fall, would it need to be uniform, i.e. coming down from the NCAA, or would each conference be able to make their own decision? Follow-up, if there is a limited schedule, how many games do you think there should, would be? This is, um, it's a good question, Holmes. Those are good questions, and I don't want to um, uh, wimp out on, um, wimp out's probably a bad word, but avoid answering your questions. I will say that there are just, there are so many factors that aren't known right now. Um, a lot of it, I think, is going to be dictated in terms of the second part of your questions. How many games should there be or would there be? It's going to depend on time. And Kirk Ferentz talked about this last week. Um, you know, could you play 24 games in a calendar year? He admitted that they think they could. So if they started this game this season, and, and I mentioned this, I believe, on last week's podcast or on Monday's podcast, I can't remember. From gathering, talking to Kirk Ferentz and Gary Barta and reading other uh, stories and feedback from other um, conference commissioners and athletic directors, the fiscal year for colleges, especially Iowa, I don't, I don't know if this is true all over the exact dates, but Iowa's fiscal year runs July 1st to the following June 30th. So Iowa's budget is from this past year is in place for the most part. It lost some money for TV from the NCAA basketball tournament, but for the most part, it got all of its football money and is okay through this June 30th. But when July 1st rolls around, that clock begins again for fiscal year budget. They're going to want to get a football season in between July 1st of 2020 and June 30th of 2021. That would fit into their budget, their fiscal year budget. So they, would, they could conceivably start a season next February or March, play that out, and then come back in the fall and play another schedule. And I think if they could, they want to play a full 12-game schedule whenever they get back. Now, the thing that could change that is if they get back and maybe this fall they're thinking to themselves, okay, we can get eight games in. We can get 10 games in this fall. Would we rather do that? That's better for the athletes. Uh, it's better for fans, I think, just in terms of having it at, at, at 
you know, the quote unquote normal time of the year and not competing against college basketball, what have you. So those are some factors I just don't know yet um, to, to tell you what, how, what number of games would be played. But in the first part of your question, I think it's got to be uniform. I don't think you could have one team playing 10 games and one team playing eight games. And I think if there is a condensed schedule, it's going to focus a lot on conference play. And I don't think that's a stretch. I think most conferences will want to play their conference games and the non-conference games. If something's going to be cut, it's going to be those non-conference games. I could be totally off base on that, but I think that's the way they would want to go, especially when they're starting the season later. Maybe play one non-conference game. I don't know. It's going to depend on how many games they can play. So thanks for the questions, Holmes. I hope I was able to answer them uh, to your satisfaction. If not, I apologize. Uh, CP87, I'm not sure exactly whom everyone else sees as rivals, but my first, but my list looks like this. Geographical, Iowa State, Nebraska, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Northwestern, recent history, Penn State, uh, Michigan State. I feel like we have had many close games with these programs in the KF era, and there seems to be a bit of animosity. I would agree with those, CP. Um, just curious, either from my list or your own list of rivals, which programs, coaches do you really respect? Is there someone out there that you just can't help but like, even though you know you should hate? Hate, sports hate, not real hate. <laughs> Thank you for that parenthetical reference and clarification, CP. Uh, I'll take your second question first. Uh, PJ Fleck, um, he's a guy that I probably um, – shouldn't like and I don't even know if likes the right word um he may fall into that respect category as well but um combination there um you know at first I thought it was an act but I think from what I've learned with coach Ferentz through the years and, and it just I guess him pounding us in the head with this <laughs> he's always said you have to be who you are and if you're trying to be somebody else or you're not genuine that will come back to bite you. And I completely agree. And I think we see that at Iowa with both Fran McCaffrey. Um, I shouldn't say both. I think you see that with Tom Brands. I think you see that with Lisa Bluter. I think you see that with Fran McCaffrey. I think you see that with Kirk Ferentz. They are who they are. They're all genuine. Um, and I think you get that with P.J. Fleck. It's not an act. He is, that's him. What we see, I really truly believe that. Uh, does he push it a little bit? Pops possibly, but he's that type of guy. Um, and I've watched him for a couple years just in pregame and um, just kind of watched it, what he was, you know, his mannerisms and how he conducts himself. And that's who the guy is. Uh, he's done really well in recruiting. Uh, some of the tactics I don't necessarily agree with, at least what's been relayed to me. Amir Smith-Marset told me they kind of, have a tendency to force you into verbal commitments um, and they lose a lot of commitments that way. But I'm of the belief in recruiting. You do what you need to do uh, as long as you're, you're being morally and ethically responsible. So I have no problems with the colleges and the programs that offer, you know, how 500 kids or whatever, um, you know, exaggeration you want to put out there. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't have issue with, um, you know, 
programs offering a lot of kids, but I'm kind of going off on a tangent here, but he would be the guy I think that I um, kind of like, and, 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 and I've come around on this. I didn't initially, but I kind of like him. Um, and some of the things that I think he stands for, I think he is genuine in um, his caring of people. So caring for people, I should say. So uh, I'll throw PJ Fleck out there for that. Um, and then respect, I would agree with the guy you put out there, Paul Christ. A lot of respect for him. Not easy to work for Barry. Um, he's kind of a, you know, an understated guy, um, even more so than Kirk Ferentz. I, Paul Christ is even more kind of reserved, um, I'm going to say closed off, but just really on message. Um, and, he, and he does a great job with this program. He's had turnover with coordinators. Um, and position coaches, but he just kind of keeps the ball rolling up there. Um, not, and I'm not sure Brett Bielman would have done the same thing. I, he was kind of oil and water with, with Barry. I think Chris kind of understands the dynamic up there, um, and it works out well. Uh, I also um, – I'm trying to think of other Big Ten coaches that I would put in there. I, I don't like James Franklin. Uh, something about him kind of uh, rubs me the wrong way, if you will. Um, I don't see him as being genuine. I see him kind of as being, um, I don't want to say, man, maybe phonyish, <laughs> if that's if I could uh, can use that word. Uh, Jeff Brom for Purdue. He's a guy that I both like and respect. I think he's done a really good job down there. Um, and, and I like Fitz too. I, I've I'm, and I've had a maybe a different um, experience than a lot of you guys listening. I've gotten to you know interview him and be around him a little bit more. Um, and I think he's he's pretty genuine. And um, you know I, I think that that plays off um, that that plays well with um, his program and I think that's why uh he's had success he, he it's an identity thing uh and he has that identity and then I don't really have an opinion on a lot of the other guys that are that are in the league um Ryan Day seems like a good guy but over time I'm sure he'll do something being at Ohio State that will you know tweak me or uh <laughs> get me going the other way on him so uh thanks for the question CP I uh, lost track of where I was here. Uh, that's it on the football board. I'll go over to the basketball board. Um, again, there are football questions on the basketball board, and you guys get a pass. Um, we're all – life is crazy right now, and I understand I'm as mixed up. Uh, Hawks gone wild. Again, thanks for uh, posting on both boards. Uh, two questions for you. One, how is Patrick Patrick's health going? I think he could be a big key for next year's team. I agree with that, and he's doing well health-wise, and I think he'll be back. At what capacity? It's probably just too hard to say. This is kind of – it's only April, and we'll see what type of progress he makes going forward. Uh, so, you know, health-wise, I think he's on the right track. The ability to kind of meld his um, medications with training, I think they're coming around and getting an idea what which works best. It can always change because this has changed through the years with Patrick. 
uh, and they may have to readjust it. So this thing could pop up again, but I think they're making good progress in that area. And I think he could be a really uh, a key component to next year's team. He's, he's a versatile kid uh, that can do a lot of different things uh, and going up against maybe some longer teams. You put him out there uh, and he helps you, uh, your ver the versatility of your lineups. Second question, how is Jeff Horner with his health? Jeff is cleared from the cancer, from what I understand. I haven't uh, been in contact with him for, for a little bit, but uh, I know he's still getting checked out and going and doing scans. And, uh, he's doing a really good job. He's at Truman State. He's the head coach at Truman State, a really good Division II program. Uh, and he's the head coach there. And I can see him kind of moving up the ladder. But he, he recruits Iowa, the state of Iowa, really hard. He's got a kid from Iowa City, Regina, Mason Miller, uh, who I think is poised to have a really good college career. I, I've gotten a chance to see him a few times this year. Um, I think he could probably play some Division One. He's a little bit undersized for that. Uh, but just a gamer, can shoot it uh, strong, uh, really good pickup for him. And I think he picked up uh, Owen Coburn. Big guy out of Iowa, the state of Iowa, I think went to Kirkwood after high school. So a couple of uh, guys that he'll have coming into his program at Truman State. And we wish Jeff Horner the best health-wise. And it's good to see him back on track and, and being able to work again. And uh, I think he's an up-and-comer. Who knows? We could see him and Matt Gaines and Dean Oliver all back on the Iowa bench someday. You just never know. That'd be cool to see, though. Uh, Moving along here, uh, B Gold uh, on the Hawkeye Nation message board. That's B Gold, all capitalized. Uh, Sam Laporta really came on strong at the end of last year. Between uh, Myerman, Yelverton, and Lachey, that's uh, Josiah Myerman, Elijah Yelverton, and Luke Lachey, who do you see as the next to break out? And do you think either of those two freshmen will redshirt? I think there is a good chance that one of the freshmen will redshirt, and that's just because with Sean Beyer back, um, I, I, I'm really high on Sean this year. I think he's ready to, as a fifth-year senior, to take a step forward uh, and be more of a factor. Uh, he had his moments last year. He's been injured throughout his career, so we haven't really seen the full capabilities of Sean Beyer from Cedar Rapids Kennedy. I think he moves up into that rotation along uh, with Sam Laporta, and then I think there's probably a third guy, maybe a fourth guy. And obviously, Myerman's got a year in the program. Yelverton came in January to early enroll, but obviously that got wiped out. So he and Lachey are kind of more on even footing. Uh, although Yelver Yelverton did get a couple months of, of training with, with Coach Doyle. So uh, I was high on Myerman last year. I thought he would play instead of Laporta, and Laporta was the guy coming out of high school as a wide receiver, I thought needed to develop more physically. And Miami looked more the part when I saw him at Kids Day. Uh, but Laporta, obviously, as we know, emerged and was the best receiving threat among the tight end group last year. Uh, I, I'm high on Miami as well. I think he can take a step forward this year and possibly work his way into the rotation. Yelverton's a group and, and Lachey are both really good prospects. Um, but I think one of those two freshmen will redshirt, if not both. Uh, depending on how Myerman and those two guys kind of match up. But uh, it wouldn't be bad to see both of those, the, the two freshmen. But I do think one of them will play and one of them will redshirt. Uh, again, if I had to guess, I would say Yelverton. Lachey played more wide receiver in high school. 
uh, and it will be adjusting to the tight end position. But again, I thought that last year with Laporta and Miami, and Laporta was the one who ended up emerging. So take that for what it's worth, and we'll kind of see how things shake out. Uh, everything's kind of up in the air now because we don't know how much camp there's going to be and how much of a chance these guys are going to have to prove uh, what they can do on the field before the season starts, when the season starts. Uh, so I appreciate the question, B. Gold. I, I do think the tight end position will be better this year than it was last year. Uh, Motobasan, a weekly contributor to the HN Mailbag podcast, is back. Dylan Doyle and Jack Campbell seem to be the front runners for middle linebacker position. Are there a couple of names out there that could be burst through and take the middle linebacker spot from them? I wrote about linebackers, I believe it was last week in my in my pre uh, position previews, and I and I um, I dove into this uh, a little bit, Motobasan, and um, yeah, I do. I I think there's a chance Neiman could play middle linebacker. I think there's a chance uh, that Colbert could slide in there. I don't think that's ideally the best position for either of them, uh, but I think they could do it. And I think if I was looking to get a little bit more versatile. Uh, and that second level and being a little quicker, you can move one of those guys in there. How much do you give up in the run game? That's hard to say. But I think both of those guys being upperclassmen can support the run well enough to, um, to, to justify being in the middle of that thing. Um, I'm bringing up my linebacker preview here. You have Justin Jacobs. I, I think he's probably fits better as an outside linebacker. Um, but I also think he could fit in the middle. I don't know where he is physically. He was hurt most of last year and got behind and didn't play. Uh, so he's a guy to keep an eye on potentially in that middle. Uh, I think Barrington Wade's probably an outside guy. Seth Benson is a guy that I wrote about in my preview position preview that I think is a guy to keep an eye on. He's, uh, he's a really physical, well-rounded, uh, linebacker who's been helping on special teams that I think fits in the middle of that, that defense as well. And, and maybe has a chance if uh, he takes a, a step or two forward to be able to get into the mix at that middle line linebacker spot. I think Yahweh Judy is a guy who possibly could move in there. He's probably more of a will in my mind, uh, but you never know. I think I was a lot more open to not, a lot more open to being less rigid with how it used the, its positions, possibly with the exception of Leo. I think you've got to be a guy that can run. I don't think. I know you You have to be a guy when I was in its fourth year with a Leo linebacker. That Leo's got to be able to play over the tight end and run. So you're not going to have, you know, most likely a Joseph Jewell, Abdul Hodge type at the Leo linebacker. So, but I think I was more open to uh, the being less rigid in terms of body types and physical makeup of a, of a prospect um, or a linebacker. Uh, I think that it's more willing now to move guys around and see how they look in those positions rather than just kind of having a, a preconceived notion of where they might fit. And I think Campbell and Doyle are good, are good examples of that. Those guys both look like Leo linebackers, as does Neiman. And those guys are the guys that I think all factor into that position, that middle linebacker, uh, taking over for Christian Welch. Also did a story on Christian Welch, if you guys want to check that out, how he's preparing for the NFL draft being as he missed out on his pro day. A very undervalued piece of Iowa's defense last year, and he was healthy uh, in playing that middle linebacker spot. Iowa was much, much better on the defensive side of the football. 
Uh, and then SSC Kelly, also a frequent contributor to the HN Mailbag podcast, checking in with our last question of the pod, or questions, it looks like. Uh, Rob, do you see the NCAA allowing football to proceed in empty stadiums since it is such a huge source of revenue for so many schools without allowing other sports? Or will it be all sports or nothing? I normally would lean towards all or nothing, but football in many universities supports the entire athletic department. I can see a scenario where if they cancel the football season, it could leave many schools unable to fund the rest of the athletic department if they were able to resume athletics later in the school year? Could there be Title IX ramifications? In short, SSC Kelly, yes. <laughs> yes to all your questions. Um, I'll try to do my best to answer. The Title IX ramifications, I think, are always a possibility that you have to keep, you know, keep in mind and factor into these equations. But we're on a whole different landscape. This is a whole new normal now. And when you get into survival mode, and what I talked about earlier in this podcast about them wanting to play a football season between the fiscal year that begins July 1st, 2020, that goes to June 30th, 2021, getting some form of football season in is, is imperative in, in, in funding an athletic department and creating a budget. And I just think all options are on the table to make that happen. Because if you're a non-revenue sport, and I will say, you know, baseball, field hockey, rowing, track, um, whatever the case may be, if you're going to throw, and this isn't just Iowa, this is nationally, if, if, if people are going to start charging, you know, make, you know, um, going into litigation about Title IX, these athletic departments are just going to say, listen, we need football. This is the sport that we're going to need to get going for you, other sports, to survive. They pay your bills. And if you're going to protest about losing your season um, because, you know, the, the, the resources we have are going into football and that's the one that we need to get going first, then maybe your program gets cut. And then you don't have to worry about Title IX because there won't be a there won't be a program. So that's what to me makes the most sense. I I just think all options are on the table now in terms of getting a football season in and paying the bills of an athletic department. And then the next rung down is making sure there's a basketball season and an NCAA basketball tournament. Those are the those are the money makers. Those bowl games, things like that. Those are the, the and in terms of having empty stands, as long as they can get the product on TV, that's where the majority of the money's coming in. Big Ten Network, uh, Fox, ESPN, that's where you're getting most of your money uh, generated from into your budget. But obviously selling tickets is a huge part of that too. And you, wanna, you want to be able to fill your, your stadiums and get that revenue as well. But like I said, I think all options are on the table you want to do whatever level you have to be at, you know, in terms of generating revenue, you have to do everything you can to do that. As a, It's a business, you know, there's no other way to put it. You know, college sports are a business and you have to treat it as such. And yes, I understand there are Title IX ramifications 
and, you know, non-revenue sports and the interest of fairness and all that. But at some point it becomes the bottom line and you have to pay attention to that most or you don't have anything. So I hope that kind of answers your question, SSC. Uh, no, no, I, just no definitive answers there to your questions because there are some unknowns, but that's pretty much my overall take on that topic. And we've hit high noon and I've answered all of the questions that I have for today. If someone will come in late or later, I will try to roll them over to next week. If you can remind me and repost those questions in our thread threads on the website or tweet them at me, it's helpful. Uh, I'm not the most organized person and, uh, I lose track of things and I forget and I'm very forgetful too. So if anybody can help me with those problems, uh, I would appreciate any advice you could send my way, but that will do it for another edition of the HN mailbag podcast for April 22nd, 2020. And as I said, we are at high noon central time here in Iowa city and I will sign off for this week and I appreciate everybody's questions Please keep them coming in for next week, and we'll do this again, and that will be April 29th, the last HN Mailbag podcast of the month. Thanks again, everybody. We'll talk to you soon.